This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the Colorado Mammoth do an Eastern double and come away with two massive wins. Head coach Pat Coyle will stop by to talk about the upcoming game against the Roughnecks and the fantastic performance put in by Stephen Fryer. Sean Evans and Dan Dawson made their debuts with their new teams, and the East is tighter than ever. All that more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for stopping by, as always. It's a lovely Tuesday here in Victoria. I'm going to golf this week. What we do on the West Coast. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me at the show, you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Uh, update. Bears DNA is in the mail. It's being processed. I will finally get to figure out what kind of dog I actually have. I'm still going to call him a Thai Dingo, though. That's what he looks like. Enough about me and my dog. We'll have a Fortnite chat probably at some point during this conversation. But a semi-busy weekend in the National Cross League has come and gone. And things are starting to take shape in the National Lacrosse League West. They are getting even more muddled in the National Lacrosse League East. And as everyone continues to point out, probably the feel-good story of the year just happened in Colorado on Saturday night. We'll get to all of that, plus some other things that come across my mind as we talk about it. Um, if you've all seen Nanacoke's bounce pass, it was disgusting. I loved it. Albany continues to roll. Shout out to the Mercyhurst Lakers knocking off the evil, evil Limestone Saints. Love when the Lake Show do that. It's not too often we beat Limestone. So shout out to Chris Ryan and the boys from the Lake. But let's get back to the Nash Lacrosse League. And there are a few topics we need to cover tonight. Uh, as you heard off the top, Pat Coyle. We'll stop by the show, and um, Pat is one who likes to talk lacrosse. He is a very knowledgeable personality. Been around the game for a long time, player, coach, Hall of Famer. Won at pretty much every level he's played in, although I don't know if he has a Minto Cup. I don't think he does. He's got a Man Cup, has a Champions Cup, and arguably one of the best defenders ever to step inside the game, and... Not only does he like to talk, he's very poignant to the point and doesn't hold back punches. He understands that the game has changed, but he has some feelings on today's National Lacrosse League. So we'll talk to him. Obviously, the story of Steve Fryer is one we will discuss because it's just um, a fantastic story. And if you don't know it, we'll get into it, but... One of those moments where you just feel good for the guy. No matter what side of the ball you're on, you feel good for a guy like Stephen Fryer. And that's a story that we've seen many times in sport, and it never gets old. But let's start with the start of the week, and that was Friday. And the lone game on the National Lacrosse League schedule Went down in the mean streets of Gwinnett, Georgia. And a fantastic little battle between the Mammoth and the Swarm went right down to the buzzer. And as always, and what we constantly see in the National Lacrosse League, game of runs in the second quarter, Colorado scored four straight, only to see Georgia score four straight. But it was a three-goal run late in the fourth quarter, the final five minutes kicked off by Jacob Rue's goal in transition off the bench. Set the stage for Stephen Keogh to sweep a whole lot of grass with just seconds to go. Six. Now across, not in the game clock. A low shot, and it trickles past Poland and in. Oh, my Lord. What a backbreaker, Mark. There was there was literally no time left on the shot clock, and Eddie's, 
He doesn't have a shot. He doesn't have a challenge flag to throw. Anything under two minutes, they automatically review. So they'll review this, but it's going to be very hard for them to tell, did that go in before the shot clock was off, especially with the angle here where you can't see the clock and the ball. That is unreal. And as we have grown to learn and expect and oftentimes cringe, it's never over till it's over. And things can change in the blink of an eye. Mammoth were down two. They score back-to-back goals from Rue and Keo, And then it set up that goal with just four seconds remaining. Keo fires a shot off his back foot. Poulin gets a piece of it with a stick, hits the back of his leg, rolls over the goal line. Game over. A dramatic finish that could have gone the other way. Had Lyle Thompson's far side twister been a quarter of an inch lower? Because just seconds before that Keo goal, Thompson had a clear breakaway. Had Dylan Ward leaning and rang it off the iron. Heartbreak. That game completely goes the other way. Both team seasons could turn around the other way. If that result is different. Especially since both teams had games the night before. A draining, demoralizing loss for Georgia. An inspiring, uplifting win for the Colorado Mammoth. And then both teams have to travel first thing the next day and play games the next night. Both come away with wins, both important wins. And for the Georgia Swarm to knock off the Toronto Rock on the next night was not only vitally important to turn their season around, but just to keep them in the race with things because it is mighty, mighty tight in the East. One game separates first through fifth. New England has two games in hand on the rest, except Toronto. They have one game in hand on the Rock. New England didn't even play, and because of the wins by Colorado and Georgia, it vaulted the Black Wolves to the top of the East standings. That is how quickly it can change. And I have no idea as we close in on the NLL trade deadline just 13 days away of what any of those five teams can do to distinguish them themselves from the rest. Because as Brian Shanahan commented in his weekly power rankings, you go one, two, Saskatchewan, Colorado. At the bottom, you have Vancouver. And then from three to eight, it is anybody's game. And how those teams are able to position themselves for the stretch run is going to be game-changing in the NLL East. Whichever general manager can either get his team to find another gear or manufacture some sort of trade to turn his team's season around and put them in the driver's seat will be imperative. Case in point, who is going to be the first team in the East to call Doug Locker up and ask what the price is for Corey Small? It's possible. And that's an asset that's probably out there. It'll be very interesting to see how this trade deadline breaks down in 13 days. I have a feeling there's going to be one or two moves. We've already seen two massive blockbusters. Are there more to be had? I'd like to think there are. I'd like to think there are. 
So those were your first two games of the weekend. Colorado beating Georgia 11-10. Georgia beating Toronto 12-7. Toronto, a lot of people kind of fluttering on the rock right now. Lost their last two. Two of their last three, I believe. And while some people aren't panicking, others may be getting their finger closer to the panic button. I think that team is going to be just fine. The loss of Tom Schreiber is huge. I still have this weird feeling that Keenan's going to flip Dan Dawson to Toronto when Curtis Knight gets back, if he's going to be back in time. If Curtis Knight misses next week and then he's going to be back, I truly, truly wouldn't be shocked to see Dawson flip. Some say, well, Keenan's not a rental guy, and we've never really seen rentals in the National Lacrosse League like that. And it would be extremely, extremely weird to see one of the top five best players in NLL history and the all-time leading right-handed goal scorer in this league to become a quote-unquote rental player. But it's possible. And when Dawson suited up for the Saskatchewan Rush Saturday night in the National Cross League Twitter game of the week, there was a lot of hype and speculation. A lot of people were interested to see how he would do. Because I know I was. Because when I was talking with some of the guys in Colorado, just about the whole de- the trade, and especially um, we were sitting with Zach Greer and we were talking about it, and how that offense is a very prototypical Whitby offense. It's very structured. It's guys moving in parts and in places. And I think it was Robert Church postgame said, you know, usually it would probably take guys a couple weeks to figure out that offense. Dawson picked it up in one practice. And a testament to the kind of player that Dan Dawson is. But there were at times when I watched that game that you could see that Dawson was still kind of trying to figure it out and he was just moving with a purpose but not exactly in rotation with where the offense was going. It took him a while to pick it up. But I think he picked it up quicker than Sean Evans picked up the Bandits offense, but that's another story we're going to get to momentarily. Dawson fit in. You knew he would because he's not a guy that needs the ball on a stick. He can work off ball really well. Very unselfish and sets some of the best picks ever just because of how big he is. And you understood early in that game against the Stealth that Dawson was just still trying to not force things, not rush things, pardon the pun. And it was either Jumbo or Shanny that said during the Twitter cast that Keenan had gone up to Dawson and said, hey, just shoot your shot. Don't put any pressure on yourself. Play your game. If it's there, it's there. Shoot it when you got to shoot it. And as that game went on, Dawson got a little more comfortable. And then, of course, the crazy incident that happened with Dawson when he left the game for a quarter and a half or so. Got the ball on a swing, was able to get underneath his defender, took one plant and kind of was diving across the net. And I'm not sure which Vancouver stealth defender hit him. But as Dawson was airborne, the contact spun his body around. And his shin ends up smacking against the post. Dawson's on the ground. He's kind of rolling around. Beers comes in and kind of gives him a shot because he thought he was, you know, diving at his goaltender, which isn't Dawson's MO. And I completely understand Beers doing what Beers did. I'm fine with it. But then you kind of understood that something was wrong with Dawson because it took him a while to get up. And then Jumbo remarked that, Dawson looked hurt. He was hobbling off the floor. And the quote from Dawson in the Phoenix Star paper, which is the Saskatoon paper, he said, I came off the bench and our trainer said, we need to get stitches in that. I can see the bone. 
incredible the fact that a contact with a post like that could cause a significant gash that needed not only 15 stitches but was deep enough to see the bone. Incredible. And the fact that Dawson was able to come back into the game, contribute, and get his first goal as a member of the Saskatchewan Rush. He'll come near side to Church. Salt waiting for him. Double high post there. It's Matthews. Hard feed. Dawson. Fake it. Take it. Score it. Dan Dawson with his first as a rush as he picked the top corner on a beautiful bounce shot far side. All with 15 stitches in his legs and doing so without the protection of his super leggings. Now, these super leggings are taking the lacrosse world by storm. I'm seeing more and more of them around the National Lacrosse League. I'm even seeing them on kids on my midget team are wearing them. And while they do great things for recovery and keeping blood flow and all those good things, they apparently do not protect your legs from smashing against the post. So keep that in mind if you're thinking about spending some money on leggings to play lacrosse. So Dawson's first experience with the rush was a good one. And that was the for, sort of the first big blockbuster trade. The second big blockbuster trade was the Sean Evans for Callum Crawford trade. Throwing some picks either way. It is something that nobody really saw coming. And yet... From a fan perspective, nobody saw it coming. But talking with some general managers, Sean Evans was being shopped. And Rich Lisk had been doing some poking around, and some other general managers had been poking around, trying to see if there was a deal to be made for Sean Evans. And when we all saw Sean Evans lose the captaincy in New England, people started scratching their head. And then this trade happens, and there's some more head scratching, and we may never know what happened behind the scenes in New England to cause this trade. But it is a trade that took everybody by storm. (laughs) The volatile hate that the Buffalo fans have for Sean Evans runs deep. Back to when Evie was a member of the Nighthawks before he was a member of the Calgary Roughnecks. Like where, When Evie started his career, all those years, terrorizing Buffalo as part of the Nighthawks, Buffalo fans grew to absolutely hate Sean Evans more than I think anybody. And the day that he was traded... If you went on any social media post that the Bandits had made about that deal, or if you go to the fan forums and read about the trade, Bandits fans were livid. Like pitchforks and sticks on fire, livid. They were not happy. They were starting to really enjoy Callum Crawford in the Buffalo offense. And now... Crawford gets traded away, and they bring in Sean Evans. Two different players, but two very similar personalities. And so people were questioning how Sean Evans would do. Now, unfortunately, his first sample probably isn't the best one to gauge him on. Now, everybody... We'll look at the box score and check out Evie's stat line and say, okay, he had one assist, 10 shots, six off, five Lucys, and a turnover. And they'll say, that's not a very good game for Sean Evans. Probably not. However, what people don't know is that Evie got to the rink in Colorado about a half an hour before the game started. He was down in, I believe, Myrtle Beach or somewhere in South Carolina doing a camp. And 
The trade happened. He was in during a bye week for the Nighthawks, so he was down running a camp. He gets traded. So now they have to fly him from down south to Colorado. Whether there was delays in his flight or whatever caused him to get there so late, he arrived at around 6.30, apparently without his gear, and he has to step into a brand-new offense with a brand-new team and ask to perform at a mile high. Well, the first couple shots he took, I don't know if he was using it. He was probably using a different stick, too. Had to get used to it. First shot might have been tipped or deflected, but went straight up into the sky. And he just never looked confident, never looked comfortable. And it's probably a good thing they have a bye this weekend. It'll give him some time to get a good practice in or two, to settle in with his offense, watch some film, talk to some guys. Figure some things out. And the quote that Evie gave to Steve Burmell was that, I think he said, I don't want to miss games, or I hate missing games. I'll be there ready to play Saturday. I love the passion, love the energy, love his compete level. But when you fly him in and he shows up, half hour, 45 minutes, whatever it was before the game, without his gear, maybe you say, hey, you know what, Shawnee? We love that you're here. We're sorry we took you away from your camp. We're going to play Chase Fraser. Or you know what? You say, Evie, I know you're down south. Finish your camp. We're not going to be able to get you there in time. We'll pick you back up in a week. Weird kind of how it all happened. I know you would want to get him into your lineup, but once he shows up a half hour before game with no gear, maybe it kind of change it. I actually didn't think he was in town or even going to play. I thought they were going to have to make a late roster change. But as they came up for second warm-up, there he was, rocking the 15 in orange and white, looking super awkward, Not him personally, but him wearing a Bandits jersey. Looks super awkward. And just the whole game, he just didn't find a rhythm with Dane Smith. Didn't find a flow on that righty side. And it hurt Buffalo. Their offense never got rolling. Credit the Colorado defense. But you also have to give a little credit to the man they call deep. Steve Fryer. Eight on the shot clock. Oh, another off-ball cut from Dane Smith and Fryer with another big save. Here's Smith. He'll shoot. Fryer out to make that save. And he's looking more and more confident with every save he makes. They know the tendencies of these guys. Eight seconds inside feed. Durston saved there by Steve Fryer. Thought about a shot from a bad angle, and then an inside feed to Mitch Jones was turned back by Fryer. Burn, pump fake, right down the middle, shot. Another great save with a right arm by Steve Fryer. To Durston, fakes the backhand, gives it up top to Jones and Fryer, right at top of his crease. And another excellent save from the Colorado Netminder, who's been absolutely fantastic here tonight. Fantastic, he was. So much so, he made 45 saves in on 52 shots in his first ever National Lacrosse League start. If you don't know the story of Steve Fryer, let me give you the Coles notes. This is his third National Lacrosse League team. He's been in the league four times, never in consecutive years as a fully rostered player. He's played in Philly, Toronto, and now Colorado. Coming in to the game, he had had a total of 66 minutes of lacrosse. And in one game, he pretty much doubled all of that. Set career highs in everything. Saves, shots faced, goals against, save percentage, you name it, he set it. 
and it was a great performance. Making it even greater is the fact that he found out moments before the game started. It is a great story, one of perseverance, one of stick and just goes to show all you young goaltenders and all you young lacrosse players out there that if you stick to your craft and you continue to stay positive, don't let things get you down like being released or being cut or not making a team. You put your time in, you will be rewarded. And Deep has done all that. The years he wasn't in the National Lacrosse League, he was playing in the ALL. He was playing in CLAX. He was doing everything he could to make sure not only his game stayed sharp, but people kept their eyes on his name. And when Dan Carey brought him over to be the backup to Dylan Ward, everybody already knew Dylan Ward was going to be the guy. Fryer would play the backup role and obviously play in spots. Give Dylan a rest for 30 seconds, go back in, maybe a quarter, maybe the odd relief appearance. But did he ever think he would get a start like this? Probably not. Maybe he had a bit of an, an inkling with double headers and the back-to-back travel. He might have maybe just had it in his back pocket that this might be a game he would start. But to find out moments before the game and then to come out and have a performance like that in a huge game for your lacrosse club and to play the way he did was just absolutely phenomenal. And I couldn't be happier for the guy. And you could see it on his face. You could see the excitement in just his whole body. Even when the game wasn't officially over and everybody thought it was over, he was so excited that he was jumping up and down and he started cramping. But it ended up going the way he wanted. Helps his team to an 8-7 win. First star and the story of the year in the National Lacrosse League. The feel-good story in the National Lacrosse League. We'll let Pat Coyle tell that story of how he got the start in a few minutes. But as mentioned, I caught up with the Mammoth head coach earlier on Tuesday. And they are now on a three-game winning streak. They've beaten three straight Eastern Conference teams. It's the second time this year that they have won three straight games. The last game that they lost was to the Calgary Roughnecks. Just so happens that the Roughnecks come to Colorado this weekend. Obviously, everybody knows there is a big rivalry between Colorado and Calgary, especially when the playoffs are involved. And if you look at the standings, there is a very likely possibility that those two teams meet in the playoffs. And this game, being the tiebreaker for the season series, could be very pivotal. So when I caught up with head coach Pat Coyle, I asked him, after coming off these three straight wins, after a very challenging doubleheader weekend, and now going into a Calgary game that is massive for his team moving forward, where is his confidence level in his club right now? You know, honestly, we felt pretty good going into this weekend, but um, it just, I, you know, the way the league is, I, any team can win on any given night. We know that. And um, so, you know, even though you feel confident about your team like and what you're capable of, there's still – it seems to be like an X factor and we've seen it in a lot of games over this year where teams where you think they should win, don't win and, and vice versa. So to come out with those two wins, it's nice. It's uh, nice for the standings, but uh, really it's just, you know, it's funny how like the next day you're like, okay, what about next week? Like you're just, you're just on to the next game. Is it good for your club to win those close games, those those one-goal games? How do you feel about um, tight games? What kind of character it builds for your club? 
For sure, I think it's good. I, we've we've won a couple of those now where uh, we came back in the fourth quarter. Um, I don't know, you know, if if we necessarily deserved to win that game in Georgia, but um, our defense and Wardo sort of held the fourth, and our offense just sort of kept chipping away. And and you know, it's nice to feel that. You know, we, we're never really out of the game. So yeah. I, I think it, that's what those games give you is that belief that, yeah, it's okay to be down and, and you can come back. Before we move to the, the game against Buffalo, uh, the game in Georgia, obviously Stephen Keel was huge. He's been huge over uh, a three- or four-game stretch for you guys after being in and out of the lineup. How impressed have you been with his resolve but his professionalism of, you know, being a veteran in this league and sitting out games, but when he gets his chance to be back in the lineup, he contributes. Yeah, you know, I I have been really impressed with him. He, he's done pretty much everything we've asked of him, and you know, he he didn't like um, not playing, mm-hmm. and and I think we liked that too about him. Um, we just weren't sure health wise what he what he was like at the beginning of the season and. You know, we've seen him really commit to uh, getting better. He's moved. To, he's living in Denver now, so he's working out with the guys during the week, and you can really see the difference. Um, you know, how he's playing now is who we traded for. That's mm-hmm. like who we saw in our lineup, and and um, you never know with a player as they're getting older, you start is it like their age or is it just an anomaly? And it looks like it was just like, he just had a couple of health problems. Yeah. And now that those are straightened out, he looks like a a, a force to be reckoned with. Another guy who, you know, has gotten over some, some bumps and bruises, but has really proved himself to be valuable uh, was the trade of Ryan Benesh and what he's brought to your offense, balancing out uh, the two sides of the floor. Yeah. He's just, Slow and steady, almost is yeah. is you know he he, um, he he doesn't do anything flashy. He's he almost seems um, like he's not trying some of the times, mm-hmm. and and to me that almost is indicative of how good he is. He if you just look at his stats, all he's done everywhere that he's ever played is score and put up points, and he just. He, he's done that consistently for us. And, you know, now that him and Greer have played like a, like a good number of games together and, and the rights with them, it feels like something special is, is growing there. And uh, he's a real big part of that. You, you get the depth as well. You know, guys like Chris Wardle and Jacob Ruay are chipping in. When, when Leezy's in the lineup, he's contributing as well. How important is offensively to have that depth? Huge, I think, because it's harder for teams to to focus on just one or two guys then because, you know, if they shut down this guy, the the other guy is going to score. And that's sort of the the balance that we were hoping for going in. That's the vision we had going in at the beginning of the year is that, you know, we, we want we don't want all our scoring to come from one or two guys. We want it to come from the offense as a whole. And mm-hmm. because then who do you stop? Um, yeah. And, and plus everyone's always looking for each other to, yeah. to score. And it's not, let's get this guy goals. It's let's get all of us goals. Yeah. I noticed that Saturday night in, in the Buffalo game of, you know, the backside looks were, were so there and guys could have taken the shot but they were unselfish and moved the ball that one extra time for the better look. How how happy were you with your club performance Saturday night after a long travel day back from Georgia? Really proud of yeah. you know that's that's honestly at the end of the game how I felt the strongest about our team. Just really proud of the guys and you know obviously as coaches it's it's we're not doing the same physical things that the players. And and that trip is hard on us. Like mm-hmm. That's a hard trip for anybody that does it. So for guys to play as hard as they did Friday night and then come out and compete the same way Saturday night, 
it, it's it's really a testament to those guys. And then, you know, to not, you know, it felt like right at the end, maybe we were hanging on by a thread, but yeah. Um, for most of that game, I felt like we we were in control of or equal to the momentum, and, and yeah, I was really proud of the guys. Was there anybody you've ever been happier for than a guy like Steve Fire after that game? No, not really. Yeah, he's that that's that's a great way of putting it, and and uh, what a great story. Yeah. Um, what a great guy for that to have happened to. Just, I didn't really know much about him before this year, and and uh, you know Dan Carey picked him up, and just slowly but surely have seen what a what an awesome teammate he is. Yeah, uh, how much he cares about our team and the players, and really wants to be part of it, and uh, just whatever task you give him he's going to do it the best he can and uh like those are the guys that you want to see succeed like that um yeah just really happy for him when he was interviewed by johnny glon after the game he said he, he really only found out a few minutes before the game that he was going to start was it really that late of a decision for you guys for sure yeah literally um wardle went for second warm-ups there and came and talked to me and just said his, you know, his legs were a little heavy and uh, wasn't sure if he was going to be able to go. And by the end of warm-ups, we had decided that he wasn't going to go. So yeah. even after the second warm-up, uh, Fryer didn't know he was going in. He, <laughs> he found out in the dressing room. Yeah, that's crazy. So maybe that's the way we do it going forward. We, <laughs> we just, even if we know he's starting, he's not going to know he's starting. Obviously, you'll most likely be going back to Dillon for for a big game against Calgary this weekend at home against Pepsi or at the Pepsi Center against the Roughnecks. But what's the biggest motivating factor going into this game, knowing how important it is, tiebreakers, uh, possible first round playoff matchup, all of those things that are that are going to be going on? Um, yeah, I mean, everyone's aware of that stuff. That it's the rubber match between us, and you know. It's hard not to be looking forward. I, we still think we have a possibility of of competing with Saskatchewan for first yeah. place for sure. And um, you know, I'd hate to think anybody on our team or in our organization is thinking different. But but then you see Vancouver's record, and if we don't catch Saskatchewan, it's hard not to see that we're going to play Calgary in yeah. the playoffs. Um, that it's a that it's a real possibility. So, to me, you know, that's part of what this game's about is that it's going to be setting, setting sort of the the tempo or the the feeling for that game or the playoffs. Like to me, this game's going to feel like a playoff game. And uh, but having said that, it really means very little. It's just one of eighteen games. Really, like it, yeah. we may make it out to that, but really, it's just we have seven more games after after this game. So mm -hmm. by the time, if we do reach the playoffs, this game will be far behind us. At the start of the year, a lot of people were concerned about your defense, lots of Dan Coates, or uh, yeah, Dan Coates and Cam Holding, uh, but you brought in some unbelievable free agents. Uh, you've got some young guys stepping up and filling holes. Who have you been most impressed with on your back end this year? Um, well, Hopi. Robert yeah. Hope, I think, has done a great job. Um, it's really awesome to see how he's developed into a, a high-end defenseman, and, and people in the league are really starting to see that, I think. But, um, I, you know, I, at times, I'd almost have to say everyone. Yeah. Everyone seems – I thought Joey Capito has played really good defense. Um, for a guy that – a lot of times has been considered like just a tranny guy and, and secondary, he's a defenseman. I actually feel like he, he's played some great defense for us. And, um, but, but guys like uh, Carnegie and Timmy Edwards have been great pickups for us yeah, and, and really sort of help plug the holes that we had, that we were unsure of going into this season. Those guys have done a, Timmy's done a great job on draws. And 
been pretty reliable in the defensive end. And, I don't, you know, how, getting him, we knew, like, he was going to be a draw guy, but we weren't sure about his how he was going to be at the defensive end. And, again, he's done everything that we've asked and um, is really coachable, wants to – wants to be part of our system and um again just once you sort of get to know him and he, he seems like he doesn't have a pulse but once <laughs> you, you realize he's a real competitor like yeah. really care really cares about what's going on and really wants to help the team win when you look at defenders around the national cross like obviously the the game has changed since the early and mid 90s when when you were playing with the rock and even when you were with the mammoth are there guys in this league right now that you watch and you're like, man, I really like that guy's game? Uh, for sure. Um, I've always been, been, a, been a big fan of uh, Matt Beers with Vancouver. Yeah. And to me, I see a bit of that old school style of play that he, with, you know, his athleticism. And uh, it, it, it's hard it's hard not to look like Dilks is a great defenseman and Rubish is a great defenseman and Corbeil is a great defenseman. And, um, you know, uh, Manning in Calgary has mm-hmm. been like a steady defender that gets under people's skin and just plays hard, plays the game right. There's, there is so many guys that I look at and think it's hard not looking at them and wondering how you compare with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like the defensemen now are much better athletes and uh, faster and everyone has a good stick where sort of my era, you could get away with not being as good with the ball mm-hmm. where now a lot of these guys played offense first and now they're defenders. So, yeah, that's that's to me like the biggest difference that I see. But I don't know. I I still I still wish there was more physicality in the yeah. in the game a bit and I know it's a you don't want to see guys hurt, but part of me really loved that part of the game. And I don't mean like I don't mean like high sticking guys. I mean like hits. Yeah. Real absolutely. like open field hits. Like the Jordan Hall hit. Did you That's see that right. one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean you could see that he left his feet a bit. I think if he had just if he had if his shoulder was probably lower, there's no issue on that. But because it's close to the head I can see it's but yeah, that for sure in my time that would have been not an issue at all, yeah. right? He like, probably would have started a few fights issue. too. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and that's and that's the other thing that's sort of missing, right? Yeah. Is not not that I think there should be a ton of fighting, but there's very little self policing. Yeah. Yeah. There's you you guys can sort of run around and do whatever they want and there's no fear of anything of yeah. repercussions. Massive game against Kyrie this weekend. You spoke of Curtis Manning, one one of the roughneck defenders. Um you're going up sort of head to head against your good buddy Kurt Malofsky. How fun is it in a coaching battle to be going into this game against a, a good friend of Kurt? Um, I don't know. I, I, I tend not to think about it that way so much. I, I have a lot of respect for Kurt and, and what kind of coach he is and our paths have sort of crossed. We, we coached team BC before and, mm-hmm. uh, together. And I learned a lot from him, sort of his style. And, um, you know, I know we're really different in how we coach. Um, but honestly, honestly, when I'm coaching in our games, I, I hardly even notice what's going on yeah. in the other bench. So, you know, I'm aware that I'm coaching be- against him before and after when we shake hands. But during the game, it's just, again, yeah. it's all about us. Absolutely. How come uh, every time I talk to Gillian Stroop, they say they're the head coach, not you? Well, they uh, they do really do all most of the work. I'm just a figurehead. <laughs> And that should be the indication of who the true head coach is. Because <laughs> if you are the head coach, you don't have to say you're the head coach. Uh, um, you, you, one of the, the cool stories coming out of Calgary is Christian Del Bianco, obviously a, a young man that you're very familiar with. 
Uh, you've coached him in the junior ranks. He's one of the best young goaltenders to come into the game in a long time. What makes him so special? Uh, the fire. I would say his fire. Yeah. He like he he loves lacrosse. Really loves lacrosse, and uh, I I would say he's been like that at least for the last like four or five years, where he just like burns for it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's he knows shooters. He knows where he's gonna, they're going to shoot. He like never shuts up about lacrosse. <laughs> he like just wants to talk about lacrosse all the time and players and what's going on for them and um so you add that to he's an he's a fantastic athlete mm-hmm. like how how strong he is how fast he is um and those are like lethal combination i think yeah that minto cup game game seven did you think his shot was going in yes yeah <laughs> that and that that really would have been the perfect ending yeah for that absolutely. because Without him, we don't win for sure. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, a crazy, crazy playoffs. Um, let's go back really quick before we let you go. Uh, the 2001 Man Cup in in Vancouver, uh, Coquitlam Brampton. How special was that for you and that group of Adnacks? Uh, it was pretty awesome. To what what it meant the most to me about was winning, like getting a man cup for uh, Coquitlam for the Adnacks and and for my friend Doc Hedges. Yeah, you know I felt like uh, we had been close there for a long time and um, just especially you know we were I think we were down four goals going into the third quarter and to come back and win it the way we did, um, yeah just it really felt like a long time coming that, that, that that team and the people behind the scenes in that team, they're the ones that really deserve that. Like yeah. they've done so much work and uh, it was really gratifying to be able to, to feel like we sort of gave them that. Absolutely. Would it, be, would it feel that way if you're able to bring a championship back to Colorado? Uh for the fans, for sure, and for the guys, for the players, um, you know, the organization sort of has turned over a bit. So not maybe not so much that way. You know, right. for Dan Carey, for sure, it would feel like that with us. But where um, it, it's different now as a coach, I really feel like the players and the fans deserve that. The yeah. player, the players work so hard and there's such a good group of guys that it doesn't feel like you have to like convince them to do what you sort of want them to do. Like they, they bought in. So I, if, if anybody deserves it, it's them. So what's the focus going into Calgary this weekend? Uh, it's gotta be us. It's gotta be on us and what we're going to do. And you know, the, the type of defense we're going to play, the type of offense we're going to play, you know, obviously we have to be aware of uh, Curtis Dixon and and Wesley Berg, but uh, you know, and 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 shoot. I think our shot selection on Christian has to. We we can't just shoot and cross our fingers and hope it goes in. We have to shoot with purpose. Mm-hmm. But but really uh, focus on how how we're going to work. Our last game against Calgary, they played really well and. And uh, we didn't. And whether that was uh, because of them making us that way or just us, I'm not sure. But our our real focus is if we're going to play, we're going to like want to bring as much energy as we can to that game. There he is, head coach Pat Coyle of the Colorado Mammoth. And you heard him talk about that game earlier in the year for Colorado. And that game... Both teams will be able to learn a lot from that contest back on February 10th where Calgary took it 13 to 9. Colorado was able to kind of claw back in that fourth quarter, but they only scored four goals before that fourth quarter. And that nine goals, I believe, was Colorado's lowest output of the season until they just won 8-7. And it's not often that you win a game when you only score eight goals. But they did it that night. 
One of the other things that was so impressive for Colorado in that Calgary game, even though they lost, they went four for four on the power play. And they're going to need to be just as good on the power play if and when they get power play chances. For Calgary, obviously, got to stay out of the box. Have to dictate the pace of play. Have to make sure Curtis Dixon isn't taken out of the game, which you heard Pat Coyle say will, you know, be one of their main focuses. Well, yeah, obviously, he's pretty good. If you can silence Curtis Dixon, that's only part of the job. And when Pat said, you know, one of the great things about having Benny on the team and having so much depth on the offense is you can't just focus on one guy. And that's one thing that Calgary has an abundance of, and that's offensive talent. Both sides of the ball. Plus you add in the growing experience of Zach Courier, and Calgary can be a very difficult team to play against. They went on a bit of a run, had won three in a row before their last loss against Saskatchewan. And they always play Colorado very, very tough. They've played twice this year. They've split the season series. And now they have a chance to take a tiebreaker, close the gap between them and the Mammoth, get a little more space between themselves and the Stealth, and get some confidence. Now for Colorado, if they can win that game, they put themselves into the playoffs. Their magic number is one. Either a win or a Vancouver loss. Vancouver doesn't play this weekend, so... If they beat Calgary, they're auto-in. That takes some pressure off, but it's not the end goal. They truly believe that they can catch Saskatchewan. They still have to play Saskatchewan one more time this year. And the one one thing I loved about um, Steve Fryer's post-game interview when he was talking with John Glant is... Even after everything he was he'd been through that game and you know finding out five minutes before the game started that he still had the mental capacity, because I know I don't have this, to know his team schedule, know what's coming next. And he knew that over the next three weeks, they have three divisional games: home to Calgary and then a home and away with Vancouver. And this three-game stretch now for Colorado is a huge continued push for them. And if they can come out two of three, I think they'd be pretty happy. Obviously, the end goal, win all three of those games, leave no doubt, and continue moving forward into the playoffs. There is only one team secured into the playoffs, and that is the Saskatchewan Rush. Uh, We talked about their win over Vancouver on the weekend, but the stat that continues to blow everybody away right now is the fact that the Saskatchewan Rush have a ridiculous power play unit. How good? The best the NLL has ever seen, I believe. Working at 76%. The stat that I saw from a few people, Evan, Graham, a couple others tweeted it out, that at one point Saskatchewan had gone 14 for 14 over their last couple of games. Probably would have been a perfect 15 for 15 if they didn't have a shortened, abbreviated power play late in the game against Vancouver. If you take penalties against the Saskatchewan rush, you will get burnt. Let's all agree to agree we know that for a fact now, okay? We all know this. 
if there's penalties he can't avoid, sometimes you just have to take a penalty, I get it. But undisciplined penalties, you can just might, might as well just walk back to center, call it a goal, and get restarted because the Rush are just absolutely on fire with the man advantage. Conversely, in the Toronto-Georgia game, the two teams went a combined one for 13. And it's funny when you, if you were to isolate power play units, for the most part, I would say 80% of all teams run the same sort of set plays. There's little tinkers here and there to make each team's version of the wheel or scissors or a high seal different. But it is with the efficiency and the perfection and the timing that Saskatchewan runs their offense that makes them so good. And this is something that I preach to the midget team that I'm coaching. And that is that if you can't pass and catch on the power play, you're never going to be successful. Because it is imperative that you're able to move the ball faster than the defense can turn their heads and rotate. And that's what Saskatchewan does better than anybody. They know the play. They know who the end man is. And they run it to perfection. It's just like how they run their offense. It's systematically robotic. And it's like clockwork. You can see it happening. You can see when Marty Dinsdale's flashing up and going to brush pick to the middle. You can see when the guy sitting in the top seal is actually going to roll into the middle. But there's no way to stop it. Because you have to respect the ball and you got to respect the shooters. And it is wonderful to watch when Saskatchewan is moving the ball as well as they do. Somebody is going to have to find a way to stop that if they're going to stop Saskatchewan from winning the Champions Cup this year. I'm not crowning them because I am full on the Colorado train, obviously. But even Colorado will have to find a way to stop that vaunted power play. And if anybody can do it, Pat Coyle can find a way. Even if he has to sit all five, four defenders and the goaltender right in front of the cage and not let him score. Maybe that's the only way. Just stack everybody in front of the net. Is there a rule that says you can't do that? Mind you, with no leg pads on your D guys, I probably wouldn't want Mark Matthews firing it as hard as he could at my legs. So... Not sure I'd want to stand there. But it's an option. So that kind of sums up the last little week in the Nash Lacrosse League. Two major trades. Some separation in the West. The NLL East tighter than I've seen it in years. It's generally pretty tight in the East. Especially when there's, you know, five teams and everybody's so closely matched. But at this point in the season, I don't think I've ever seen one game separating the entire division this late into the season. And yes, while it's still sort of early for teams to be clinching, we could have our second team clinch this weekend. It's one of just three games on the weekend, two Saturday, one Sunday, Georgia at Rochester, a massive Eastern Division game, Calgary at Colorado, a massive West Division game, and then Sunday, a 3 p.m. face-off at the ACC in Toronto. It's New England at the Rock, and yeah, another massive game in the East. If New England beats Toronto, they'll stay atop the East, Georgia beats Rochester. They might even be able to get themselves up there in the standings as well. 
with every game played in the East, the standings will change from here on out. You can take it to the bank. The Vancouver Stealth, well, they pretty much have to win their last six games. They've played 12. They have six left. They need to go 6-0 and to have any shot at making the playoffs. They have to. Because I believe they played Calgary twice more. And you're going to need those wins to get you into the playoffs. They are, so they have their home and home with Colorado, are their next two games, St. Patty's Day and then the 24th. They play Calgary, Saskatchewan, Calgary, Georgia. That's their final six games. Two against Colorado, two against Calgary, and then the two Champions Cup finalists from last year, Saskatchewan and Georgia. The good thing is, well, I think that five of those seven games are at home. Unfortunately, Vancouver's 0-5 at home. So, pick your poison. I have no idea who's going to come out of the East. The West kind of looks settled, but I'm so excited looking forward to this National Cross League trade deadline that's going to happen very, very soon. I don't know when the next domino is going to fall, but I have a feeling it's going to be very soon. Shout out the Minnesota Vikings cheerleaders for braving the weather in Saskatoon. Not like they weren't getting enough cold weather in Minnesota. They thought they'd spend a weekend in Saskatoon. I love that Bruce Urban just goes for it. Will do all that he can to build up hype and to bring more people inside. It's not like the Rush were struggling for numbers in attendance. It's not like the old days when the Rush were in Edmonton and we were terrible and we were getting 7,000 people to games and he had to bring in the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. They had to bring in Dennis Rodman and Brooke Burke and Manhunter and all these crazy things. In Saskatoon, they're selling out and he's still bringing in the Seagals and bringing in the Viking cheerleaders. He just goes all out, man. And I think it's pretty cool. I'm sure you've all seen the Nick Sakevich article on NLL.com speaking about expansion. Uh, He mentioned that they're very close to having a fifth Canadian NLL team. Uh, All signs seem to be pointing to Halifax. It'll be very interesting if they do go there because I, I, it's just way out there for me. I just never thought Halifax would be an NLL market. And if they do go there, I hope it is extremely successful. Obviously, I think that. But like I said, I just never thought it was somewhere where the National Lacrosse League would go. Funnily enough, funnily, Funny enough, um, thanks to Corporal, we maybe even have a name. Uh, U.S. Trademark has the Halifax Privateers as something that the National Lacrosse League has put in a uh, trademark for, goods and services, things like that. Also a name that pops up, the Boston Shamrocks. Take it for what it is. But those are two trademarks that the National Cross League has put in for quite recently. Halifax Privateers uh, was filed on January 29th. Boston Shamrocks, February 8th, both of this year. So one never knows, but possibly Halifax and Boston could be on the next slate of National Lacrosse League teams. I love the fact that they want to go back to Boston. Would love them to always and forever be the Blazers. The old Blazer colors. 
not the red and white that they had when they brought them back. I want green and orange and white. Old school. But just some little tidbits to leave you with. Halifax Privateers, Boston Shamrocks, two NLL trademarks that have been submitted. And with the commissioner saying that they could have a fifth Canadian NLL team very soon, the road leads to Halifax. Thank you to Pat Coyle for stopping by this week. Always a pleasure to catch up with the National Lacrosse League Hall of Famer. Enjoy the games this weekend. Again, three on tap, two on Saturday, one on Sunday. And I will talk to you in seven days' time. Teddy.Jenner at gmail.com is the email. At Off the Crossbar is the Twitter account. Until then, be excellent to each other. 